I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. In the spirit of ANU's motto, which is first to know the nature of things, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and waterways, which were never ceded. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend our respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening today. I asked the Prime Minister, how good is Australia? Please explain. I'm here to make a public statement. Look, I'm going to uh, shirt from Mr Putin. I am a fighter and not a fighter. I don't think, I know. I want to thank uh, that fellow down under. Fair shake of the sauce bottle, mate. G'day and welcome to Democracy Sausage, which we bring to you weekly from the ANU, Australia's National University. My name is Mark Kenny, and I have the great privilege of being joined each week by the wise and scholarly political scientist, Dr. Maria Teflaga. Maria, we're inside the last two weeks, really, the final fortnight of this long run towards the voice referendum, but it feels like the voices that have been heard have been louder on the no side than the yes side, which ain't a good omen, if nothing else. Yeah, yeah. Pre-polling has has started, um, so you can vote now if you want. I think in most states, and yeah, I think it, I think it is true to say that the, the sheer volume, I suppose, from the no side has has been very loud and and at times overwhelming. Yes. Yeah, and that's largely because, and we can talk about this with our guest who I'll introduce in just a moment, but it's largely because the the no side has had the luxury of being able to just run sort of any and every argument that it wants to. They don't actually need to be consistent. They well, can be contradictory. Uh, or bound just sort of, by time or space. Yeah. I'm like I'm or currently sometimes. Yeah, I'm like currently receiving extremely bizarre text messages from the no campaign about all kinds of things that have absolutely nothing, nothing to mm. do with 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 Australia in in general let alone the actual question at hand yeah and in that sense it's not a fair fight because the yes case does not have that uh, luxury or that uh, even that desire to mislead it has a proposition that's been put forward that has the support of the government has the support of Huge number of uh, of, of organisations and individuals, uh, a lot of Australians, of course, but um, it uh, is putting forward this proposition in good faith, and there are probably no voters with who, who are opposed to it in good faith for reasons of, of of difference of political opinion or or whatever. But the campaign itself is is an exercise in as I've described it before, a sort of a handful of gravel approach, just try and hit something, anything. It uh, doesn't matter if, if it all doesn't add up. Yeah, that's right. I, I, I think it, it's very much the Breitbart strategy of, of flooding the zone yeah, with, exactly. with so much just uh, incoherent stuff to, to confuse, mm. essentially. Yes. Now, our guest today might be able to shed some light on all of this. He's known as the father of reconciliation. He's a Yawari man from Broome in WA. He's a former priest, I must say. I didn't actually know that. Uh, and he's now a senator for WA. Patrick Dodson is also special envoy for the Voices implementation for the government. And it's a great honour, a terrific honour, really, to have Patrick Dodson on Democracy Sausage. Welcome, Pat, from Broome. Thank you very much for the welcome. And uh very good to speak with you and your listeners. 
Now, Pat, um, you've been a little sidelined through some of this process, which must have been enormously frustrating given the role you've played uh, in, in in driving us to this point in in getting uh, the uh, or, you know getting the machinery in place and the arguments and so forth, but you've had to be sidelined. Um, you've been unwell. Yes, I um, I unfortunately have um, uh, had a diagnosis um, back in around Easter, and uh, that's put me into hospital, and I've been subject to chemo treatment. And uh, anyone that's been through chemo knows it's an up and down sort of process, and uh, then to add to that uh, set of woes, the uh, uh, shingles uh, attack and the oh. results of that uh, just adds adds to the um, recovery process. But I'm uh, certainly finished the chemo and I'm um, starting to rebuild, but uh, just haven't quite got back to uh, running up and down steps and responding to bells in the Parliament <laughs> House as yet. Yes, now perfectly understandable, and you have our great uh, sympathy and understanding for that, and also, I guess, for the as I said in the question, the the, the frustration you must have felt at uh, normally being a participant and a leading participant in these kinds of debates uh, and not being able to do so, it must have been quite hard. As I said, you're speaking to us from from Broome, which is your country, Yaru country. Can you just tell us a little bit about that country before we get into the discussion about about the voice, because I must say I've not been to that part of the country and I think most Australians probably haven't. Well, Broome sort of um, has a lovely um, lovely set of beaches around it. It's uh, got a beautiful bay, the Roebuck Bay. Uh, it's a turquoise sea. It's a white sand and there's red pindan. Uh, it, has a, it has a background in pearling with a lot of uh, people, basically indentured labourers from Malaysia and Singapore and Japanese and Chinese, and uh, had a check at history during the war when uh, the, the uh, Japanese uh, uh, and some of those were married to Aboriginal people were, were interned. Uh, there were German priests here at the time, and they also were placed under sort of house arrest. Uh, and the kind of Creole that was spoken uh, on the luggers by the, all of those uh, unique and rich cultures um, was deemed by the CIA as a suspicious language. So uh, Broome has had a, had a checkered history, and it was only recently that that uh, was deregistered, de I think, off, the, off, the, off their register. But it's a, it's a town that has its pearling history, has a pastoral background, a missionary background, and obviously a public service background. And within that, the Yaru people have managed to survive and go through a native title claim, which established native title interest within the town, uh, which gives us native title um, interests that we can develop and share and um, contribute to uh, in, the, in the way the town develops. So uh, it's gone from being denied recognition to uh, a sense of uh, native title, which is a contested matter and by people within it. Uh, so we had Aboriginal respondents, uh, but it was, it was a successful claim and a successful determination. So um, uh, the Yaru are now in the rebuilding process of their um, of their culture and uh, their assets and um, seeing to leverage up their opportunity. So from a point of view of its history, it's um, it's gone the full circle where Yaru people now 
uh, are very much a, a part of the development of the town and uh, its future directions. Uh, let's go to the voice now. Um, why don't we start with a, a basic question because uh, it's appropriate always to accept that this vote hasn't occurred. There's some polling, as Maria mentioned before, which suggests that the, the, the yes case faces an uphill battle to get over the line. We know it's very difficult with a, with a constitutional change. You have to get that majority of votes across the country and a majority of states as well, um, which, is, which is historically very difficult for any proposition. Um, so why do we need this voice to Parliament, Pat Dodson? Well, it's a matter of justice and honour, I, I think, because um, we've, we've had the Mabo judgment in the High Court that acknowledged that the legal fiction upon which the nation was settled or colonised of terra nullius, that, uh, that, was a, that was a legal fiction constructed to dispossess the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples of their lands and, and subjugate them to um, regimes of uh, governance and policies that uh, were basically um, foisted upon them without their consent or without their judgment or even their consideration. So we're dealing with a legacy matter in, in the sense that the first peoples of this country have never been recognised. They're deliberately ignored in the drafting of the constitution in the sense that they were deemed to be a dying race and therefore no need to be recognised because of the superiority of the, uh, of the Anglo-Saxons and Celtics that took over the place. And so Section 5126 of our Constitution, uh, in fact, uh, initially made it clear that the Commonwealth would have no power to make laws for the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people or, their, or the race. And so that was left to the states until 1967. This is a vastly misunderstood uh, thing, isn't it? I mean, one of the criticisms we hear from the no side amongst the sort of uh, plethora of, of objections is this idea that uh, the voice would re-racialise the would re-racialise Australia and uh, put race into the constitution. But race has been in the constitution all the way through. It's still a there. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. In section. 5126, uh, that's where race is embedded and then it's embedded in another section. Uh, the, the reference to that I don't know, but basically that the, the people of, uh, of any race could be discriminated against and, and not allowed to vote. Uh, and they'll be considered in the reckoning of the numbers to go to the, to the House of Reps. So we have two provisions in our constitution that relate to race that the founding fathers in their wisdom included. Uh, so the referendum we're talking about now, the provision, uh, that we're being asked to vote on uh, is really about recognising the Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander peoples. It's got very little to do with race. Yes. It's recognising the first peoples of this country and acknowledging that uh, they should have a voice that is uh, a voice to make representations to the parliament and to the executive on matters that affect them. And, th and the other point that keeps getting forgotten is that the legislation that sets this up will be subject to the parliament. And that is, that's where all the detail about the powers, functions, purposes, nature of elections, etc., is determined by the parliament. So members of the parliament on not only the government, uh, the crossbenchers and the opposition uh, and the public will know clearly uh, what the uh, purpose and functions and capacities of the voice will be 
when when they see the legislation and they obviously follow the debate in the parliament. So the provision is really a significant provision that Australians are being asked to do, and that is to recognise the First Peoples. And given our history, uh, that would be a very honourable thing to do and would in fact deal with a legacy issue uh, that has that uh, been related to this notion that there was no one here. But we're after almost 200 years, we're recognising the First Peoples, the peoples who were here before the British came and who had established their own systems of governance and laws and processes and procedures and had their own relationships to specific tracts of lands. And, of course, that was all pushed aside in the colonisation process and the settlement process. And then there are deliberative policies like the assimilationist policy that sought to make Aboriginal people into white people. Uh, and that was pretty much the policy from the 1960s onwards uh, until, you know, Whitlam came in with the self-determination um, uh, philosophy, which for a short period saw some radical change in our political landscape um, and even into the terms of the, the Northern Territory Land Rights Act, which um, uh, Fraser actually introduced in, uh, to recognise the relationship of Aboriginal people to land and for them to have a have a clear say over what happens to their land but also what happens to them in the process of the development of those lands. So uh, the question of entrenching a voice in our constitution is to do justice and honour to the reality and the truth that the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples are the first peoples of this country and we as Australians acknowledge that and address it by putting that in our constitution and then leaving the detail of how the body, the voice, would be crafted and developed to our parliament, which is the normal thing to do. Can I, can I ask, because I think it's one of the arguments that, that comes up a lot on the, on the no side, which is, um, well, everyone's happy to do recognition, you know, like I think David Littleproud even um, offered to, to print the ballots um, if that was the only question about recognising Indigenous Australians. Can, can you articulate why it is that through the Uluru Dialogues, simple recognition was rejected as, as insufficient and, and why a voice was put forward? Well, I think it's clear that the result of the Uluru Dialogues or the dialogues that led up to Uluru and the outcome from the Uluru uh, Convention is that people want a voice enshrined in the Constitution. Just having symbolic recognition of its own is, is simply not, uh, not what they've requested. In fact, some of our state constitutions have got uh, recognition in them, uh, but they have no legal impact. So there's no, there's no legal force to the recognition. What Aboriginal people have asked for here is that there be a voice entrenched in the constitution and that, that voice be able to make representations to the parliament and to the executive on matters that affect the Aboriginal people. Now, being recognised and having no uh, capacity to impact the matters uh, that, that, that are imposed upon you is, is a pretty hollow form of recognition. And that's not what Aboriginal people have asked for. They've asked for something substantive, that is, and it's a very minimal ask, 
that they'd be given the opportunity to give their advice on matters that are going to affect them and that it doesn't bind the parliament, it doesn't force the parliament to accept it, it doesn't force the executive to accept it, but it does give the respect to people, the first peoples of this country, uh, the respect that they should have a say over matters that are going to impact them and their futures, which they haven't been able to do in a very effective way uh, to this point. A lot of the discussion about the uh, the voice itself, uh, the justification of it is around the, the closing the gap targets, the ability to advise on those areas of intractable problems that uh, that uh, afflict Indigenous or First Nations communities disproportionately poorly uh, and which through this advisory mechanism policy could be improved, outcomes therefore improved as well. Um, that's that's an argument that seems very persuasive to some and not all that persuasive to others. Uh, it's, of course, a projection. It, it, it can't be predicted in sort of concrete terms, but it makes sense to a lot of people. It certainly makes sense to me. But what about – I wonder if I could just ask you about the sort of uh, – the other side of it. Perhaps this is even less tangible, but, but also seems to me to be important, and that is – uh, you mentioned before words like pride and honour and uh, dignity. Uh, what sort of psychological, social psychological effect would this also have? The recognition in the constitution, the creation of a body that uh, has that that is protected in the constitution, so it has that status and is then able to funnel the views of uh, Aboriginal communities to the parliament. Uh, not in a binding way, but just simply able to provide that direct advice. What What is the sort of psychological dividend for that? Uh, because it's, if we think about the the history here, it's a very, very uh, bloody and awful history in many ways, and mostly it's a history of negation and silencing if we look at it the long run of the years. How, how does the... How does the voice, the existence of the voice and the recognition of it and the gesture of creating it also add to uh, repairing the relationship and making First Nations peoples feel uh, more included in, in the whole of society? Well, I think there's two things about it. One is the point you make, the last point you make, is that the First Peoples are recognised in the Constitution. And the, 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 the second component to this is that this is a vote of the Australian people. And so the Australian people vote to change the constitution by way of recognising the Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander peoples. So there's honour to the Australian people. There's, there's a recognition amongst the Australian people that they're recognising the first peoples of this country. And in that way, they're dealing with some of the legacy issues that many Australians carry about guilt and shame and dishonour uh, and the lack of pride in some of that history you, you mentioned about the awfulness of the frontier wars and the policies of assimilation and, uh, and subjugation. And if we could go back to the Bringing Them Home report that uh, Sir Ronald Wilson and uh, Mick Dodson wrote, uh, which they described that as tantamount to genocide. So... You know, the, and then and some of the High Court judges have talked about the darkest periods of our history and looking in the mirror. Um, so, what this does is 
it's, there's a reciprocation. It's not just for the Aboriginal people. That's a great thing to do, to be recognised in the Constitution after 200 years. But it's the recognition that's been given by the Australian people and in themselves recognising that they, in, in some ways, are vindicated about that past and, and ruling a line, not necessarily solving the problems that have arisen from that, but at least ruling a line over the fact that there's never been a recognition by the Australian people of the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. So there's honour and pride for Australian people in voting yes in this referendum because when they travel overseas and are confronted, or even in this country are confronted by the fact of what's happened to the first peoples of this land, they'll be able to say that they're recognised in our constitution. Whereas we've always condemned on, we've never had a treaty, we've never had an agreement with the First Peoples. We have this awful history that we've been able to do very little about, uh, except in some remedial ways through land rights and native title and through some of the more positive policy issues uh, that have been uh, uh, taken up. But we haven't dealt with the substantive equality question that arise from the First Peoples. You, you, you talk about closing the gap. Well, they, that's about civil equality. That's about citizenship equality. That's about being having the same standards of living and quality of life that ordinary citizens have. We've also got to deal with the matters that go to substantive equality. That is, who are these First Peoples and what it is that's been perpetrated upon them and how do we remedy that and how do we fix that as well? Now, they're, they're complex issues and they'll be presumably in, in the future part of what the Makarata Commission will need to deal with in the truth-telling process as well as in the, in the agreement-making processes. So Australia is embarking upon a, a, a very noble and adventurous pathway here if we go down the path of yes. The No campaign has no vision. It has no vision about where we go. All it has is fear and it has the same message about staying in the same predicament as Australians, not just as the Aboriginal people, but as Australians, staying in the same predicament of denial that the Aboriginal people ever lived here, denial that they have been subjugated to policies and practices of governments that we are responsible for and denying that, that they should have a voice that goes to the matters that affect them. They have no vision about how we as a nation go forward. The Yes campaign, at least, is offering a way for us to take a more positive and constructive way of dealing with the legacy issues, not only of the social equality matters, but also of these substantive equality issues that we know we're going to have to deal with down the track. Time for a quick break. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. 
When the wind veered, the smoke was driven backwards, revealing a most amazing scene. Standing columns of fire. To Be Continued is a new podcast that explores the rich world of lost literary fiction from Australia's past. It helps you to understand the way in which knowledge is kind of not something that's out there waiting to be discovered, but it's something that you create. To Be Continued is brought to you by the Australian National University and is available now on your favourite podcast app. Welcome back, Maria. Yeah, I always found that really, really clear, Pat. That I thought that was very helpful. Your distinction between the sort of civil inequalities and the, and the substantive inequalities, and and your articulation that the the conservative no case really has um, no vision for the future. One of, one of the things I have noticed um, a lot on on social media and and has even been raised in discussions is I suppose the the progressive no case or the progressive no side if you were sort of talking to a progressive no voter I mean what would you sort of say to I suppose alleviate the the fears that they may have that that the voice is too modest and and not going to be effective enough for their their desires and their concerns well the first thing I would say to to anyone is that change is incremental. If you look at the history of change in this country, it comes incrementally. Um, and you've got to have some sequencing about change. That is, you've got to have some starting point and you have, uh, and, and you could always have some arguments about where you start and where you, where you want to end. Uh, the, the, the starting point here is the recognition of the Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander peoples. And that recognition does not impact uh, the questions of their sovereign position. It doesn't impact uh, the, 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 the question of, uh, of the need for treaties or agreements, which no doubt will be the subject matters that will be there after the referendum, whether it's successful or whether it's not. Those matters will still persist, I, I would think, because they persisted well before I came along in this life. Uh, back in the days of Mr Cooper and... Those in 1938, they sought from the parliament then, or the prime minister, someone to be in the parliament to look after the interests of the Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander peoples. That was back in 1938, and that was prior to the 67 referendum. So the federal government had no capacity uh, to do anything about it, and so they just sat on it. Uh, but it didn't stop the Aboriginal people from 1938 onwards to the to the people that fought for the 67 referendum, Faith Bandler and Jesse Street and other great leaders in our country that fought for the change to Section 51, um, 5126 so that there'd be uh, clearly a, a head of power for the federal government to, to make laws in relation to Aboriginal people. And we found that that head of power uh, is one that um, is not necessarily exercised for the benefit of Aboriginal people from the Hindmarsh Bridge judgment which said that a, a legal law can be amended adverse to the interest of Aboriginal people. So th there's no security in the, in the race power for Aboriginal people. Um, so when, when, we, when we look at where we're going in the future, you need a voice. You need an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice to the parliament on how they're going to rely on the Section 5126 or any other head of power that's going to affect Aboriginal people. Uh, the territory powers, for instance, uh, whatever section that is, Section 122, I think it is, when laws are made about the Northern Territory, 
how that's going to impact the Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander people in the Northern Territory. And, 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 and having a say about that is critically important at the point in which legislation is made or policies adopted that are going to impact the lives of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. So having a, a capacity to influence policy and legislation uh, at, a, at the highest level is critical. Now, can I just make one other point? We're talking about a constitutional principle here. This is a principle that we're talking about. We're asking people to vote on a principle uh, with a set of words that goes beyond recognition to the creation of a voice, a uh, body for the Aboriginal people that, that can make representations and one that recognises that the parliament will legislate the voice. And, and that's a principle. The detail obviously comes with the legislation. Now, Australian people are being asked to adopt a principle that the parliament can use in a very in, in the same way we were asked back in 67 for a principle to be adopted in the constitution, a principle that would make it clear that the Commonwealth Government could make laws for the Aboriginal people. And we've seen how that head of power has been used. And as I've said, the Hindmarsh Bridge Judgment makes it clear that there's a role for the High Court in the way parliaments exercise uh, their powers in making laws reliant upon principles in the Constitution. And that'll be the same in relation to uh, this matter if it's adopted and becomes part of our Constitution. So you have two things. You have the Parliament and you have the High Court. And the Parliament obviously will change from time to time and that may affect the nature of the voice by way of legislative change. It won't affect, it won't affect the fact that the Australian people have asked for it to be in the Constitution if they vote yes in support of it, but its, it's, it's composition, its powers and purposes can obviously be changed by Parliament because that's the nature of the way the Parliament works. Now, if people say this is a, a modest and incremental change, and it is, that's what it is, this is not a revolutionary thing. This is, this is a very mundane request in many ways, a very simple and a very modest request. It's, and it's asking the Australian people to support that request at this stage, to be in the Constitution, being recognised and being, have, having a capacity to make representations. Now, from that, we hope, obviously, that future parliaments will be able to see the wisdom of why the Australian people have supported the referendum, as they tried to do, as they did in '67. When they, when they supported the, the amendment to the race power, that they'd see the wisdom that Australian people have recognised the Aboriginal people in the Constitution if they vote yes, and that they left it to Parliament to be wise in the way it operates in response to the representations made to it. Now, that's what we do every day of the week in this country. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And uh, it's as you say, it's a head of power uh, in the Constitution to create the voice. So the Parliament then has that power conferred on it by the people through the Constitution uh, to, 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 to design that voice. Now, the PM recently came out and said 
uh, by way of trying to allay some of these fears and 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 um, uh, remind people that that is the order of things. And he said, if the yes votes get yes vote gets up, that he will uh, establish a parliamentary committee to design the legislation that would create the voice, and that that parliamentary committee would have joint chairs, one from Labor and one from the Coalition. Um, and it would, and its mission would be to establish the maximum possible support in the House of Representatives, uh, and in the Parliament, uh, therefore the Senate as well, for the creation of the voice. Now that's a very strong message, and I think it shows um, a, a, a recognition that if the Australian people support it, then the Parliament will uh, then need to respond to that mandate, uh, and would and would do so. I wonder whether it hasn't been left rather a bit late to be making that announcement, though. I mean, this debate's been going on for, you know, the best part of 18 months, you know, and uh, it feels like that announcement hasn't really, it's kind of sank without a trace almost. Um, I'm certainly glad to repeat it here because I think it is a very positive intervention for the PM to make, but I wonder if the yes case is been a little tardy with this and with some other messaging in, in, in the way it's run this campaign? Well, I suppose um, there's, there's a lot of, lot of criticism you can make about it, the process and what, uh, what should or should not have been done. Um, the fact that the Prime Minister went to Gama well, over 12 months ago and put a set of words out there for the public and anyone else to at least to see and to comment upon, and that came after there was a, uh, uh, you know, a, a range of propositions put to a parliamentary committee that uh, Julian Lesser and I had uh, had uh, chaired, co-chaired, um, when the voice was rejected by the Prime Minister of the day, uh, and that parliamentary committee made uh, w- received many su- submissions on proposed words that could be used. So. Uh, there's been a, and we've had, and that committee obviously conducted its own hearings. So there's been a lot of opportunity in many ways for for people to make, uh, prov- you know, submissions and provisions uh, to to the parliament via those committees, and uh, and obviously personally, how many discussions the PM has had with the leader of the opposition, I don't know. Mm. I, I'm not privy to that, uh, but I do know that the opposition has had several meetings with the committee that was set up by the minister uh, to advise uh, to advise her on the on the on the words that are now on the provision uh, there were many you know there are meetings there with the opposition and with the cross benches and with the independents uh, there were there were the um, the process going forward uh, again is a very generous process uh, but it's a wise process because it um, takes note i suppose of uh, how things might be done better, but it also one that if you get the participation, there's no guarantee there's participation by the opposition uh, in the in the invitation or in the proposition the prime minister put up. But if they do participate, not encourage them to participate, then you would hope that that would guarantee the legislation having a fairly smooth passage through both houses. And becoming the law, you would certainly also, hope so. I mean, if uh, if the Australian people support this, given the high bar we talked about for getting this these changes through the constitution, it'd be a pretty uh, pretty tone deaf opposition that didn't uh, participate in that process, particularly given that that uh, opportunity. Well, I believe that they've, they've uh, like for example, Senator uh, Napajira Price has indicated that she'd like to sit on that 
committee now, you know, which is an interesting um, uh, admission of buy-in on some level um, from from her. Well, again, evidence of being all over the place. Um, <laughs> there's so much of that. Um, uh, Pat, I wonder if I could ask you about the nature of the No campaign. And one of the key things about it, which has staggered me, I've spoken about this a number of times before, but I'm interested in your thoughts on this. Uh, the emergence of the key sort of attack line against the voice uh, that it is divisive. Uh, it, it surprised me. Uh, obviously, the uh, the the voice was designed for the precise opposite. It was about bringing the country together, about about healing, about making this country more functional than it has been in the past. Um, and it was about, as you say, uniting all Australians together around things like honour and truth and 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 dignity. Um, and yet. This idea that the voice is divisive, which has been put about by the people who have sought to divide the country in ways that did not occur in 1967, that's the key difference between 67 and now, is by political bipartisanship. Did it, was it war-gamed ahead of time that the opposition could oppose this and then, and then claim that it's opposing it on the grounds that it's divisive? I think the divisive element probably... Uh wasn't considered as much as it as it ha- as it's come to the level of prominence that it has, but being divisive is not. Um, uh, I, I don't I don't accept that proposition, obviously, hmm. uh, because I I think that um, if you look at any of the social indicators, uh, we'd have to say that there is a a fairly appalling. Uh, social lot for the Aboriginal people in this country with the incarceration rates, with the number of kids in out-of-home care, 17, 18, 20,000 of those, with the, you know, all the, the social ills that we know of. Now, so there isn't, there, there isn't equality on the, on the formal citizenship side of things as, as we just look at the bare facts of these matters. Um, and there, and there is, as we've already acknowledged, uh, the race power that's embedded in the Constitution as it sits. Uh, so, that, and that enables the Parliament to make laws specifically for Aboriginal people. Yes. Um, it doesn't have a specific, it has a general power to make laws for all the citizens, including Aboriginal types of the peoples, but it has a specific power to make laws for the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. It's a much more radical change, actually, to the Constitution than the one that's being proposed now, and yet Peter Dutton wanders around the country saying this is the greatest change to the Constitution since Federation, um, which just doesn't stand up to any sort of analysis. Well, it doesn't, and it doesn't. And in fact, what it would do would enhance our Constitution by the recognition of the First Peoples uh, as, uh, you know, in our Constitution, and then secondly, uh, a reciprocation to the generosity of the Nuluru Statement, it would enable them to have a, a say to the parliament and to the executive on matters that affect them. So it, it would enhance the constitution. And I would think that the average taxpayer who I know is hurting in, this, in these circumstances, uh, it would enable us to hopefully get better uh, if you wanted to be so crass about this, better financial outcomes for the public sector outlays hmm. by getting getting better policy advice and better implementation strategies adopted to get the effectiveness of those policies 
with the Aboriginal people's participation. So um, there, there's there's financial returns that I would think are, are quite capable of of, of uh, being something that we could we could see uh, in terms of savings to our public sector outlays uh, with with better advice and better methodologies and better participation of Aboriginal people, better buy-in to those policies because of participation. Uh, so. Uh, and, and and remembering that that's about creating social equality. So the division question sort of fails because that's about greater participation in mainstream society. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and, it, and it's about people seeking the best opportunities in mainstream society that, the, that, that mainstream society has got to offer, which currently they're being denied because of the of the poverty and all the other matters that was, we, we know of. So the, the division is, is, is a furphy. This, this would enable people to have a better quality of life. And a better quality of life means on a, a quality of life more on par with most Australians. So the division question isn't there. What, what, what comes to pass is the honour that comes from the recognition of the First Peoples and the uniqueness of their culture and the relationship of the, these peoples to their land and the uniqueness of their, their spirituality and their dreaming and their philosophical and cosmological views, which we're slowly starting to understand in terms of our, our uh, you know, caring for country, our fire management, a whole range of other matters that we're belatedly becoming more attuned to. But the, the relationship to country and the, and the understanding of the integration of uh, humans and, and the environment uh, to our, you know, successful quality of life factors uh, in this world are matters of critical importance to all of us. And First Nations peoples have got a lot to offer to us. So the recognition goes to that as much as it goes to social equality. Absolutely. Um, Pat, you, you know, you're a very experienced advocate and representative for your people. And I guess I want to ask if you've actually been sort of surprised by the sort of level of cynicism, the outright bullshit um, that has sort of subjected this debate, or is this not surprising to you? Some of it's not surprising, but, you know, the no, the no opposition isn't a united position, as you've articulated. There are people who are the progressive nose or who, who have a sequencing issue or have a other other preference, um, and then there's those who just are blatantly opposed because they don't like Aboriginal people, or they or they think we're going to get something better or different, uh, and they they're going to be denied, uh, which is totally untrue. Uh, but you know the the um, the nature of the proposition, the provision that we've got in front of us, is one that brings the country forward. I mean, we, we, we start from terra nullius, a legal fiction that's been discredited by our High Court uh, as, as, a, as, a, as a legal fiction to dispossess the Aboriginal people. And that's a legacy matter now that we as Australians have got to face. And we start by this referendum in a positive way by voting yes to the recognition of the First Peoples of this country. We recognise that the First Peoples are here, which, which the people who in 1788 and onwards, uh, even in 1901, 
<laughs> refused to recognise as the peoples of this country. Um, so we we will be we're dealing with a legacy issue that we can take grip of, and one that we can, uh, I suppose, not bequeath to the future generations. We will not bequeath to the future generations this legacy of denial of the first peoples of this country if we vote yes for the referendum. So that would be a great uh, contribution to young Australians uh, of all, you know, all backgrounds, a, a great recognition obviously for the Aboriginal and Torres Strait peoples, but what it does for our, our non-Aboriginal youth is takes the burden away of that legacy of denial. Mm, mm. It removes it because we as Australians have said, we acknowledge that you are the first people to this country. It was the terra nullius legacy and the legal fiction legacy is what the No campaign wants to hold on to. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it definitely is a national moment. Uh, look, I want to finish on a, um, a, a little positive note uh, with a, just ask you about Steve Martin. But before I do, uh, let me just put this to you because we're getting close to uh, the, the running out of time. But as anyone, has ever, anyone who's ever popped the question knows, you have to contemplate rejection and rejection can change everything. So what 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 what's that mean to you? What do you think a no vote, particularly if it's a one, you know, the, the worst case of of um, no, which is a, a fairly divi- a decisive no, perhaps even in every state. Uh, I'm not saying I think that will happen. I'm just saying it's a possibility um, with with any such question. Um, how, would that be the setback that we all imagine it would be? Look, I, I think it would be a, a tremendous. Um Tremendous setback for our country, um, not only domestically, but I think internationally as well. I, I think we'd be considered uh, to be less progressive as a nation than we seek to assert ourselves to be. It would certainly make it harder and more difficult for our, our governments to establish uh, good working relationships um, with, with other nation states. I mean, the pragmatism would, would enable us to do that, but we, I think we'd find it that we would we'd be back in the worst days of the white Australia policy, uh, the days when we were seen as not wanting to be part of Asia, not wanting to acknowledge people of colour and not wanting to allow people of colour to migrate to this land and to maintain this land as simply a place for white folks, uh, particularly of the English and uh, Irish Celtic stock, um, which is really what the intentions of 5126 were about. So we, we would be reverting to a position where we, we would become uncertain about whom we are as a nation. We will have asserted a denial position that the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples are the first peoples of this country and we'll be asserting that they should never have a say over matters that affect them. Now, in a modern democracy, I don't think that will go down very well or be seen as being very progressive. Now, uh, people 
I might have a different view to that. Uh, but I think it would be terribly devastating. And we'll be bequeathing, as I said, a legacy, the ongoing legacy of denial and division and discord to our future uh, populations, to our, future, our young people of the future. We'll be just handing on to them the baton of, of that prejudice and that ignorance uh, that has governed our our nation up to this point. Yes, uh, Noel Pearson, of course, famously uh, described Aboriginal Australians as the most unloved peoples in his Boyer lectures. He's, he's attempted to be, I think, more positive through the latter part of this campaign, and one understands why. Someone, however, that we know uh, does love the First Nations peoples and uh, and who you met, I think, in New York, uh, is the actor Steve Martin. I wonder if you could just tell us, uh, as, a, as a sort of a closer, um, your, uh, your what happened when you met him and, and the circumstances there. Well, it was a, it was I had the privilege of going to the United Nations with their Foreign Affairs Minister, Penny Wong, and in the process of that, we had a range of side meetings and uh, with, with other nation states and uh, with other leaders, with the Pacific leaders, et cetera, and Timor-Leste and other, other places. But... One of the occasions was organised by our consul, um, the, the, the previous uh, Premier of New South Wales, Nick Greiner, um, and, at his uh, dwellings, uh, where Steve Martin came along and uh, it was such a wonderful occasion. He, he's, a, uh, he's a very impressive individual. Um, he's a collector of, uh, of art, as I understand it. Well, he has, I think, the, the, the world's largest collection of Centralian art. and. What, in, what fascinates him also fascinates many other Australians, but he, he has a, a genuine uh, intrigue, fascination, respect um, and, and, and a quest to understand the genius that surrounds or that under, underpins that art and the people that created it. Uh, so he has a, he has a love that goes with the with the not only for the art but for the people that have created it. Now he impressed me with that, uh, and and that's something that I would love to see all Australians imbued with. And when I suppose Noel and others talk about you know love, and M Michael Long of course went on the long walk and asked John Howard, "Where's the love for our people?" Uh, this is what they mean: is that Having, having a respect, uh, I use the word honour, having a, a sense of honour and honouring the First Peoples in a way that uh, gives us pride as uh, Australians, gives us integrity because we, can, we stand uh, within the tradition of the 60,000 years of culture and uh, as Australian history as much as it is the unique history of the Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander peoples, but we're part of that now as Australians, and we should take pride. But we've got to understand it, we've got to get imbued with it, and we've got to learn uh, what the genius is of, of all of that. And, uh, you know, once you uh, uh, get beyond just the, the art and understand what the cultural underpinnings of Aboriginal customary law is in, in terms of uh, the song lines and the ceremonies that go with this, uh, it, it's a totally integrated system of how the cosmos and the ecology and the environment and human participation uh, and our expressions of that uh, is articulated through all of those forms, art forms, dance, paint, 
song ceremony, dance, etc. So uh, Steve Martin was a man intrigued by all of this. He, he's fascinated by it, uh, and but he's 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 also respectful, highly respectful of it, and and to that extent. He, he honours that art and uh, he, he allows the Australian consul to have, uh, you know, some of that art within the consulate so that others can enjoy it as well. So he's, he's a man intrigued by this uniqueness that we only in Australia, of all the peoples of the world, we only as Australians have this uniqueness uh, where one American uh, is totally imbued by it and wants to... Uh, wants to make sure that the genius underpinning this can be conveyed to others uh, in the world as well as uh, hopefully a, create a greater opportunity for us as Australians uh, to share in that kind of experience. Is indeed so much to learn and so much to love. Let us hope that love does prevail, a love of this country and love of our long history, much longer than merely the white history of colonisation, but a long history which we're being invited to have incorporated into our constitution. I mean, that is the invitation here, Maria. It's a, it's a historic moment, and uh, that, that's no, that's right, exactly. Um, and and one that um, we all should actually spend a little bit of of, of time on. You know, even if um, you know, we sometimes we feel like we don't have much to spare. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Pat Dodson, it's been really terrific uh, having you on the podcast. I really appreciate your time and, and, and all of the contribution that you've made and hope that your ongoing recovery is, um, is, is all upward in trajectory and uh, as, as speedy as possible. Thanks. Thanks very much for that and thanks for the opportunity. And uh, I just encourage your listeners to, uh, to vote yes because I believe that will take our country forward and be a great contribution to all Australians. Well said. That is Democracy Sausage for this week. Um, thank you, Maria. Thanks, Mark, and thanks very much, uh, Pat Dodson. Indeed. Bye for now.